بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما السلام عليكم السلام عليكم everybody welcome to the dope muslim woman podcast um we are now live i'm ready for our second episode from prison to prayer so we're going to give a few moments for people to log in um as you come in please give your salams assalamu alaikum Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. I'm so happy to see you guys for episode two, The Power of Redemption from Prison to Prayer. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Please give your salams. How are you? This is your host, Sabria Mills. I'm from the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast, and I am happy to be joined here with you guys. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Sean, Farasha. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back, you guys. Um, as you guys know, this is Season three, episode two. We are in series one. Salaam Saudia. The power of um, forgiveness and redemption. This is our first series. Salaam Al Nisa. I'll just keep shouting you guys out. Um, Shahi Yasir, he's prepping in the back of the studio. He's going to actually open us up with a performance. So he's in the back studio preparing. But I wanted to just welcome you guys to episode two of series one. Forgiveness and Redemption, From Prison to Par Prayer with Shahid Yasir. Hey, you guys. Assalamualaikum, Umi. Um, this is a really important episode. We opened up um, season one with Drea Noor. She just talked about forgiveness. And we are now going into redemption um, and just the power of redeeming yourself, coming from the shackles of the incarceration, um, the epidemic of incarceration rate in the prison system here in America. A lot of our Black men are succumbed to that. And the power that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he promises us when he redeems us and brings us from the shadows of that. Walaikum salam. So welcome, you guys, um, to the show. I wanted to, before we, like I said, I, I, Shahid is literally prepping his song that he literally just finished, but it is extremely powerful. I wanted to just kind of come on really quickly, just have some interaction. Sound like a brother Marlin. How you guys feeling? Did you guys like episode one? Um, I wanted to just, you know, rep a little bit and tell you guys what we have. Oh, gosh. Um, which is some of our products. We have our Dope Muslim Women podcast sweatshirt. I posted the link. We also have, I have a new bag that just came in. Um, I'll be repping my mug today, you guys. Okay. So we are just repping a little bit of product of the Dope Muslim Women podcast. I've seen my backdrop. You can't really see it. It's so huge. Um, so alhamdulillah, like please support it. It supports the podcast. It keeps the content coming. It helps finance what we're doing. So we really appreciate everybody's support. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce um, my brother in a second and um, bring him in on the live. Um, again, welcome, you guys. Salam alaikum, Brother Pius. Again, this is from Prison to Prayer, The Power of Redemption with Shahi Yasir. And I'm going to bring him in and introduce him officially. Um, he's an independent artist. He's an entrepreneur. Um, he's raised and he was raised in Hartford, Connecticut. And Hartford is also known as Homicide Hartford. Shahi Yasir spent some time incarcerated in America's prison system and came to Islam through that process. And he's going to talk a little bit about his journey. Um, he is a phenomenal human being, and I'm happy to welcome um, Brother Shahi Yasir to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, Brother Shahid. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, alhamdulillah. How is that prep going? Uh, it's a little. <laughs> a little. A little, little <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I'm sure it'll be good. 
Welcome to the show, Brother Shaheed. So I was interacting with the audience, letting them know that this is episode two of our series. Um, Alhamdulillah, you had some insight into our series by when we caught up with a live that we did a little while ago about forgiveness um, and redemption. And yeah. today we're talking about from prison to prayer with you. So welcome. How you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Ready to get it started. Okay. So no chopping because I just, um, you know, put it together. But what I think I'm going to do is I'll probably just clip something real fast. But you won't even know that, but I'll tell you. Okay. So let me just give some context, Shahi, because you like you're talking to me, but the audience don't know what's going on. So we are, he's about to drop a track. You know, as I said, Shahid is an independent artist. So this track is called the biography, autobiography of me. Um, it tells the story, gives a lot of story of what we're going to be talking about today. And I know he just finished it. So bear with him for any mistakes or glitches that you see. Um, but it's, it's, it's fire nonetheless. Shahid, did you want to give a little bit more context before you drop it or you just want to go right into it? Uh, basically you did it. The autobiography okay. of me is really nothing else that could be said about it. I mean, it's basically my life from beginning to the, to now. So basically starting from little youth then. Yeah, starting from when I was a child. So basically, yeah, that's where it's coming from. And then it's going to go more to where I'm at today. And that's it. Okay. That's my like my Rahim. All right, Shahi. Let's go. Everybody swear they're a killer to the hammer drop. In the past, beat for me, brother, could get your nana rock. All this black on black crime, all over stand the plot. Ain't asking for a seat at the table. I demand a spot. They waste management. I, that mean they all trash. Well, you should bet on shot. I'm taking all cash. You ever try to ride on me? I make them all crash. Full of hard knocks. And you cowards won't get a hard pass. See, all I know is just hustle. Got a crazy flip. Everything I do is halal. Catching crazy licks. Sits and get it sorted. No repercussions. It's crazy. It's 731. 187, leave him 86, sucker. Couldn't check me on my worst day. I'm Muslim, man. You can still get it in the worst way. I ain't the one for that looking tough with the wordplay. Cause I'll put your soul in that friendly sky where the birds lay. See, I'm a prosper. What you think I got my name for? Islam's the gang gang. That's what I bang for. Anything posing a threat is what I aim for. Know that I'm a beast with these tools. I'm off the chainsaw. I introduce you to someone you never knew. But listen, I only do this to show you how much I grew up. Put everything on this table. Tell you what I've been through and show you. If you live that life like me, you could do it too. I'm from Homicide Hartford, aka the beat. You should never disrespect me. Try to play me like I'm sweet. I ain't Martin Luther King. We'll never turn the other cheek. Know the fist or the fifth man and take them off his feet. I'm from the projects, Charter Oak Terrace. When a coward disrespected, I was taught to make them perish. Listen, you gotta hear this. Cause by the age of six, I was showed just to hold this work and watch it flip. Now, shout out to that general. Rest in peace, click. When I was eight, show me just ain't straight. Keep it grip, closest friends, they could turn into snakes. Don't ever slip since that day, only trusted a lot, and that was it. Fully equipped, so product of my environment. That's when I became a product of my environment. In and out of school, from exposure to suspensions, 14 committing robberies. In and out of detention, fast forward a couple years. In and out of the system, no, I would see the prison, a mental form of conviction. 
ill intentions. Still putting in work, little skinny kid. But later, biggest one in the dirt. 18, I call the cops slipping. I pressed him and tapped his pockets. I told him running, dislocated his jaw from his socket. See, I was toxic, still running the muck. 2003, tragic when that tragedy struck. Down on my luck. I'm locked up, I'm on the other side Visit from my mother, that's when she told me my brother died I just cried, every part of my heart broke up Couldn't even form a reply I was choked up, the pain that I was feeling inside Was hurting so much, at the same time It was something inside, I woke up I got my hopes up, searching for knowledge First year into my bed, I put myself into college Now I'm feeling like the change gonna come I'm trying harder The second year into my bed, I took Shahada Called my mother and I told her I'm Muslim She said whatever she supported the decision as long as they make me better awake. Got released. Brothers was like, ah, remember, you're going to be tested. Maintain your salat. <laughs> I can't lie. Transition was up and down. But it's 14 years later. I'm saying, look at me now. It's black power. I'm only promoting unity. Plus, I fed hundreds of people in my community. See, these ain't bars I just spit in the booth. I'm really out here in these streets trying to influence the youth. Listen to me. I bear witness that Quran is the truth. And Islam's a lifeline and I'm proof. And every day I love to strive when it's dead. Said it's all I want to give and nothing in it. Now that was the end. But you'll get the, the whole thing ready later. But uh, just to stay preview. What's going on? The track. You turn the track off. <laughs> I like the beat. I want to just let it keep playing. <laughs> Thank you. Mashallah. Tazarakallah. That was really, really good. Mashallah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that wasn't easy to put your whole life on a track like that. So I appreciate it. Um, so I'm just, I want to ask you a quick question. What inspired you to actually write that? Um, the autobiography of me? Yeah. Um. I think it's just I had to put it out there for me. I mean, part of it is like it's therapeutic. It's talking about, you know, everything I've been through for for the most part. So basically, everybody judge a book by its cover so much. You know what I mean? I didn't even get to that part, but that part was in there. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So it's the whole point of everybody judge a book by its cover for the most part. And so therefore, I will give you a better understanding of who I am. Before you right. try to judge me when you just look at me, right. you know, probably people see a um a thugged out Muslim, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. okay. Well, let's get into it. So I wanted to, you know, I wanted to tackle redemption. It was really important for me because I felt like um when we talk about forgiveness and we talk about redemption, we talk about just you know what Islam represents and means to us and why this faith is so important. Um, it's not just for the righteous and for the pious and for the perfect, right? It's for um, Islam came as a solution for so many of the ills that were plaguing our um, the society, right? When it came to the Prophet Muhammad. So redemption is actually defined, Shahid, as the act of correcting a past wrong. Okay, you talked a lot about that in your song. Let's start at the beginning, just the impact of growing up in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, you called it Homicide Hartford. Um, why does it have that name, first and foremost? Uh, well, that name was probably brought to light like maybe about maybe 10 years ago mm -hmm. around 10 years ago yeah um, before it was just called the heartbeat you know so for most of the violence that just kept growing and building and building it became homicide Hartford. 
I mean, at the time, it's homicide hard for more than ever at this at this present moment. So, yeah, it became homicide hard for just because, like, right now is 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 probably the third smallest city in the United States, right? But it's like in the top twenty five of one of the worst cities in the United States. Yeah. So. Yeah. So growing up in Connecticut, you grew up in the projects, right? So what was that like in Hartford? I mean, for me, it was great. I mean, it's people people have a different view from it when you from the outside looking in, but when you from the inside looking out, you see things totally different. It was still, even though it was violence, it really wasn't that much. The violence came from outside the projects, you know what I mean? So if people people came into the projects and called the violence. I mean, you have your fights and everything like that inside the project, but as far as the shooting and everything went, it came from outside the projects. But for the most part, it was a um, it was a family. For I mean, even in the projects, at certain times you can leave your door unlocked when you're there. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it when you're not there, but when you're home, you can leave your door unlocked for the most part. Okay, but growing up, so growing up in the projects wasn't that bad, but obviously there was, you know, being a product of your environment, um, just the kind of the aspect of what is facing young black or young black youth in the projects, right? Or in these communities, these inner cities. What were some of the things that you would see on the daily when you were growing up, just in the community? Fights, 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 fights. I mean, I used to fight. That's how it was every time. They used to make you fight. Like, so for me, I, I fought. They used to put you in circles, like, for the kids, they used to put us in circles and make you fight. They ain't care if they put a boy against a boy or a boy against a girl. It ain't matter. It was just fighting. So for the, um, that's really what you're seeing. I mean, I seen the um, as far as people coming in trying to shoot each other. I mean, I remember even when I was a kid, my neighbor, his mother, the kids had an issue with each other. Right. So the mother went over to the house to go to talk to the parents or whatever. And the father came out and beat her like with a baseball bat. Wow. Like beat her, beat her wow. with a baseball bat. They had to move out the projects after that, but. Yeah, so common to see a lot of violence. So yeah, what is that? A lot of violence, a lot of, um, a lot of drugs for the most part. I mean, even my father, my father was, you know, he was a, you know, he he even got a little bit strung out even at some point. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of drugs out there. And then that's your, those are your like your role models for the most part, right? When you look at the older people inside of the projects, they become people that you look up to. So you don't really have no other role models unless they're on TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. So you mentioned something in your song and I just want to bring it up, but you mentioned about being age of six. And I guess at that point, if I heard correctly, learning how to shoot. No, six years old was a different thing, but I remember it. Cause um, my brother, he the one who got caught. <clears throat> they used to, um, you know, hold the drugs. We hold the drugs for the drug dealers. Mm -hmm. So if the police rushed in, they're not going to mess with us with the kids. Right. So what they do is they buy you a whole bunch of candy. My brother got caught with a whole bag of candy because we used to have penny candies back in the day. So, you know, you can get a lot of candy for pennies. Right. So then yeah, he um he got caught with a whole bunch of candy. My mother asked him where to get it from. 
he told her how he got it, and then he got a whooping. But yeah, so at the age of six, they they I mean that's what you was around. You, you kind of get groomed a little bit. At eight years old was when I remember outside of my mother house on Avenue Street. That was um he passed away like in 93, 94, something around there. Mm-hmm. He got killed. But yeah. um yeah, he was um basically teaching me, he just showed me how to hold the gun in front of my mother house and I wanted to shoot it so bad I remember yeah. and he was like I couldn't shoot it because if I would have shot it my mother would have came outside and it would have been lights out because even yeah. other people my mother whooped other people too in the project she wasn't just yeah. whoop she wasn't just right. whoop me you know what I mean yeah yeah so I I mean so that that's sort of the history of what it was growing up so I know that we we're talking really about redemption and we're talking about um what the prison system and how, like like you said, it's that grooming process. So our young black men are groomed from when they're young. First, you're taught to fight. Then you're taught how to hold a gun. Then you're taught, you know, how to, you know, um, I'm assuming um, um, sell drugs or the or the the impact of the drugs in the communities. And then there's the the gang culture as well. That's that you're kind of faced with, correct? And the- yeah, the gang culture around in my city probably popped off around like '92. 93 mm-hmm. for the gang culture before then it was like i mean in a sense my my projects is probably at one point it was the biggest projects in connecticut right so it right. was consistent of two sides we was a side and d side i lived on a side till i was about four then i moved to d side it was always conflict amongst a side and d side so you couldn't even go over there to the store you come outside the store i mean and i mean at like seven years old you come outside the store and you got a, a bunch of other seven, eight year olds waiting for you. So now you're going to have to fight and run, make it back to your side. Is it? And that's how it was. It was a beef amongst both sides. Unless the beef came from outside the projects, then we all came together. But as long as but in-house, yeah, we didn't get along. So it was always like a division and it would divide amongst cliques. And that's what. Yeah, so that's that, that's how gang stuff really pop off. Before it was actually a gang, it was a clique. Mm, I got you. I got you. So the aspect of like the actual gangs, though, where did that? The were people groomed from that sort of culture into? I mean, say what you're comfortable in saying, and then you can leave the rest. <laughs> was people groomed for the gangs? Yeah, I mean. You're grown for the games from when you're young. You know what I mean? Because everything you 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 is the same thing that goes on in gang life. It's just on a higher scale. You know what I mean? Now you're taking orders from people at the same time. I mean, when the gangs first happened in my city, it came from the black gangs to the to the Spanish gangs. That's how it started. You know what I mean? It was a gang, 20 Love. Like, for when I was a kid, we was 20 Love. We was 20 Love members because if you was black, that's what you was going to be. It started with 20 Love and Latin Kings. Okay. You know, Latin Kings and 20 Love. So the 20 Love was for black people. Yeah. Black and green. M- green stuff for um, money and land. Black stuff for power and people. Black power, black people. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that was a whole another ball game right there. Because yeah. it's still, my like I said, A side and D side, it was divided in my project. So one side became 20 Love. One side became Latin Kings. 
You know what I mean? So that was a clash right there. I mean, we was better when we was together, but it caused it, it caused so much division that even the people that I remember, it was, even the people that you was actually cool with growing up as kids before the games, is the relationships is no longer the same. As long as you're on the, the opposite side, it's, it's not the same. I mean, you because you have to be ready to. They probably was a childhood friend at one point, but if things go left, you got to take them out like this. No hesitation. Mm. Yeah. So, wow. So I want to talk about, obviously, you know, where that leads. Right. So that definitely led to being incarcerated. Right. So I wanted to go over a few things. I was reading um, this really dope book. Where is it? OK. This really dope book, The New Jim Crow. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> And um, it, it has some interesting information, right? So it said one in three actually African-American men will serve time in prison, which I was like, that statistic is crazy to me, right? Um, it also said that the evidence showed that prison institutions actually create crimes rather than prevent it. And the US incarceration rate is six to 10 times greater than that of any other industrialized nation, which a lot of times we know. So obviously they're benefiting and profiting from what's happening right there in those inner cities and in those projects. So, you know, obviously you, you got involved in some stuff and you ended up in the prison system. Um, tell me a little bit about that, that journey and, and what you saw when you were actually incarcerated. Um. <laughs> The first time I got incarcerated, I probably was incarcerated for like three months. I, I sat there. They sentenced me to like 60 days, but I wound up doing three months altogether because I had another charge that I was still fighting. So off of a misdemeanor, they sentenced me, but I still had a felony charge on the side. So, um, I mean, even at three months, I had 90 days. My cellmate had 40 years. So they don't care who they throw you in the cell. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember even when I was, I got, we have an orientation and it was, it was called Manson Youth Institution, which was probably the worst institution inside of Connecticut. And the crazy thing about it in most states, the youth institutions are the worst than our adult institutions because you got, we just, we lie wise at that age. We called it gladiator school. You had to come out, sneakers on, be at your door before that cell pop. And I remember when I walked in the population and um, I, 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 it reminded me of the um, murder was the case that they gave me from Snoop Dogg. When he was like late night, I had two brushes scraping on the floor, people getting their shanks just in case the wall pops off. And I walk in, everybody's watching you. And then you see people from your city and then people come to you, but you walk in, I walked into a war zone. You know what I mean? I walked into a war zone. That night you go inside there and it's like, everybody's talking about a war about to happen. And the only thing you could do at that point, I suggest you don't sit up there. It ain't no time to be timid. You gotta do exactly what everybody else was doing at that point. And you gotta be scraping toothbrushes because you don't know what's gonna happen at any given time. When one thing set up, it go from cottage to cottage to cottage. And it's crazy because that will go up. It was Manson Youth, which was Little Cheshire, and then you got Big Cheshire. So the people, if the if the adults in a in a um adult prison, if they set off a riot over there and they got wind that a riot popped off over there, we set off a riot over here. 
You know what I mean? But it, and it was it wasn't even really at that point. It wasn't about gangs. It was about what part of Connecticut you was from, what okay. city you was from. You know what I mean? So you got cities who teamed up with each other, and then you got cities who just was dolo. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um, so far as the um, aspect of just the demographics in the prison, like what did it look like? As far as African American, Latino, Caucasian, what did it what did it look like when you were in as a youth? Majority African American. I mean, as far as the, it goes, the majority is African American. You get you have your um you have your Latinos in there, which I mean they was they was a close second. Not that close, but they was a close second. White people, they was very slim. It was slim inside of the prison system as far as probably I mean in every prison system I probably like in every as as an adult from a youth, for white people to be inside of there, the numbers were small. It was yeah. majority Black people, African American, some Latinos. You won't. You, you're not gonna see really no Asians or none of that up in there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, for black people. I mean, so for a lot of black men, survival depends on their reality to relearn learn the rules of human interaction, right? Um, and that includes the primary tenets of with like not trusting anyone and always being on guard. You spoke about that in your track. You just spoke about that right now, which is that's actually goes against human interaction, right? Constantly looking over your back, constantly not trusting anyone, right? Um, yeah. Always being on guard. Um, so just far as based on your experience, how did that impact you per se? Like as you were in prison and as you were kind of navigating that, were you constantly looking over your shoulder? Did you trust no one? In prison? Mm -hmm. I'll say this. In prison, I was the last one to go to sleep. Like, in the cell, it was different. But once you was inside of a dorm, I was in a dorm of 90 inmates. I was always the last one to go to sleep. Talk, tell me was, about that. Tell me why you were the last one to go to sleep. Just watch everything. You know what I mean? It been times it was... It was a lot of game wars. So you you just gotta watch everything. So for me, everybody would go to sleep. I won't. I would drink like some coffee, all black, no sugar, and a big cup like this. And I would just I'll take it down because you go to sleep. I mean, it's soap in the socks. You know what I mean? People could or they put a lock in the sock. Yeah, I mean, you just don't want to slip like that. So I'll, I'll always stay the way. They put a lock in a sock, though? They put a, what is that? Yeah, or a lock on, or, or you tie a, um, a lock around a shoestring. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or you put, they had these soaps, they were like this thick. So they hit people? I mean, excuse me, yeah, being naive. Them like, in the, you drop them inside of a, um, it's like a brick. When I mean, these soaps are so hard. It's like a brick. You And you drop them inside of a sock, you tie a knot around it, and you you beat somebody with it, or you get beat with an adapter. I mean, whatever it was, that's what you got beat with. Yeah. yeah I mean, I never got beat with that, but that's what you're happens. Last, you're the last one sleep. So, no, nah, not, not because of that, but just never happened. Okay. So, 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, we're talking about redemption. So I'm getting a little bit of background, but you said something in your song that I think touched everybody, which was the story about your brother. Um, and I know you were locked down when that happened, but first tell us a little bit about him. Um, now for me, as not when I was so much as a kid in the projects, but once I became maybe around middle school, for me, my brother was my role model. Like not uh, a celebrity of anything like that. I mean, even when I used to be in this as a kid at like 14 years old, 13, 14 years old, and I used to be running around doing stuff I wasn't supposed to be doing. He was in college. Mm -hmm. And he used to take he used to um send for me to be at the college at for the weekend. And he'd make me sit up there for the weekend so I ain't get in trouble at home on the weekend. You know what I mean? And I mean, he was he he always was the type of person who um I mean, that was part of his job, though. Even when he be, became older and he got out of college, he always went to help kids from like from the inner city. Because I remember even once I went back to jail after he passed away, they knew who he was. You know what I mean? People used to come up to me like, that's your brother. And I'd be like, yeah, that was my brother. But and they'd be like and they tell me how. He used to help them when they was in these little programs out there or even when he um alternative schools. He used to he used to work into alternative schools. He used to be a substitute teacher as well. So they yeah. used to talk about how he used to try to help them as and be he, he was an impact for most of them. So he was always about um trying to help people and look for yeah. the best out of people. So tell me about that day when your mom came to the because I know that's a big part of like your redemption process and when you started to look at life a little bit differently. Yeah. <clears throat> I think when the first, when it first happened, I know my mother came, it was on a Thursday. She just came up to, I was, um, I was incarcerated. So she came in and she, I was still, I still had a bond. So she came in and she, I, I probably was maybe in for like a week. I was probably in jail for like a week. So my brother was in California when I got locked up, when I came. And I guess when he came back, he was playing basketball. And they said he went to like do a crossover. And as soon as he crossed over this way, he just collapsed. So when my mother came to see me, she said that, he um you know he he collapsed on the basketball he like passed out on the basketball court at the same time you ain't thinking like it's a big deal right you thinking oh he all right he gonna be fine the next day i had court and when i went to court my i walk into the courtroom and i'm smiling at everybody because i see my mother my younger sister her best friend and a couple of my friends and my aunt the thing that threw me off was I seen my aunt, right? And my aunt never been to none of my court dates. But what really threw me off is nobody smiled back. The only one who smiled back was one person, but he didn't know my brother. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he smiled back at me. Everybody else, nobody smiled back. So I turn around and I face the judge, but I'm thinking to myself the whole time, like, like what's going on? So when I go to lead back out, I look back. I smile like this. I try to wave. 
and nobody smiles back. They took me on the elevator to go back downstairs. And I remember saying to myself, my brother got to be dead, right? What confirmed it was the next day, my mother came and they, they said I had a visit. Now, where I, where I was at, it was like an hour drive. So I know if I got a visit, my mother used to make this trip once a week because of the, the drive that it took to get there and to get back. So this was my next visit, Thursday and then Saturday. My mother would never come that close back to back. So when she came in, I'm like, I, I felt like it was bad news. And I, and I kind of knew already, but it was it's, it's nothing like when they say it to you, right? So when she came in, I look and I see um, she got on glasses. So I look at her and I'm like, and I'm watching her walk in. And I look up, I look up out because the windows is like by the ceiling. And I look out and I'm like, it's not, it's not sunny outside. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's raining, it's cloudy. So I'm like, why she got on sunglasses? And she sits down. And the first thing she said was, she was just like, um, he passed away. I just dropped the phone. Yeah. At that point. yeah 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 so at that point um the conversation was over so i know that that was really tough that was really tough for you and um what you said in the song that that really was like the spark of the change yeah i mean because my brother always wanted me to do good you know what i mean one thing he used to say to me for the most part was take the music serious, right? So he always wanted me to do what I was supposed to do. So yeah. at that point, I took initiative to try. I mean, I was already jammed up for what I was jammed up for, right? Yeah. So the only thing I could do at that point was try to better myself while I was inside of there, you know? So and that's what I did. I, I, I um, enrolled in the college for business management. Um, started doing that trying to do um voc educational programs anything that i to try to prepare myself for when i came home yeah. and then you know you try to um look at religion but at that point i was already done with religion i mean i just believed in god so um i took shahada well i studied islam for eight months before i took shahada i was just looking for a way out you know what i mean i was looking for something that was going to take me out of the situation I was in. Yeah. So when you say looking for a way out, you mean, what do you mean by that? When you say looking for a way out? Um, the streets, you know, something different, a different life. Because now I'm trying to, I'm like, you know what? I'm a, I'm, he always wanted me to do what I was supposed to do. So let me try to do it. For the most part, like when he died, I used to be like, why you ain't take me? Like, what you take him for? You know what I mean? Like, for who he was, why would you take him and not me? Mm -hmm. So that's how that's that's what my thought process was. So after that, I just um no, I really like <laughs> Yeah. No, no, I, I understand. 
But yeah, so you um, so you started the study of Islam for eight months. At what point did you decide that you were going to take Shahada? Um, a, a week before Ramadan. But I felt like I wasn't ready to take Shahada. So I wasn't going to take Shahada because I felt like I wanted to change. But a part of me was still, the street still had a little grip. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, that's so, real. I, I knew I, I knew I wanted to change, but I knew I still wanted to try to play in the streets a little bit more. So what I did was I, I was saying, I'm not taking shower. And a brother was like, no, you should take it. He said, what you going fast for and not get the, the blessings for it for? You know what I mean? He said, you, you got to take shahada because if you go home and I'm like, nah, if I take shahada, I'm, I'm going right back into the streets. I'm going to be a hypocrite. And he was like, "Nah, you're not. You won't be a you. It's not that he said I won't be a hypocrite. He just said, listen, if you take shahada now and you die, at least you die in the state of Islam, so you have a chance. If you don't, then you know what I mean. I mean, you know, the good thing about it is the decision of taking the shahada was. I mean, when I." I, I studied, let's just say I studied for eight months. You know what I mean? The first book I read was um, What is Islam? And who? And then the second book was Who is the Prophet Muhammad? Yeah. After that, I went to Juma. And when I went to Juma, it seemed like the imam did a the cookbook for me. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess that that's what he do sometimes. When he see a new face, he starts, he, he probably switches up his cookbook, right? So it, Everything he said, I was like, this is what I believe already. You know what I mean? Like, so at that point, it was a wrap for me. I mean, I I was I did every salat, which probably in the long run, when you think back, all of that kind of helped me become more calm in life, right? Because I mean, I did every salat. Every salat that could be done, I did it, except for Tarawi. I I didn't know what Tarawi was. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know what like a lot of other stuff was, but as far as every sunnah, with everything, I did every single salat, and and I think that and then I took shahada eight months later, but then I had to ask a lot to tell me, you know, like did I make the right decision? Yeah, yeah. So that process, that process of God, that purification, and then just deciding as you came out what to do differently. Um, I wanted to segue into a different conversation really quickly because I think it's important. I think when we were taught, I was having conversations with some some sisters in regards to um, just a lot of Muslim brothers coming out of the jail system to keep it up 100 with you. And, um, you know, women navigating, having men that they're in relationships with in the prison system or even navigating, deciding if they're going to be in relationships with men, men that have been in the prison system. Um honestly, in our community, our relationships, our marriages are heavily impacted by this, right? So how does a man with a history of gang violence and incarceration move beyond this um, to really authentically connect with a woman? Um, Because I'm I'm just, if I'm listening to your story adequately, you're, you're talking about, you know, looking over your shoulders, you're talking about not trusting anyone, you're talking about being the last to sleep, right? You're talking about all these things that you, this is like the conditioning in, in which you were, were dealing with. 
Um, and then you take your shahada, you pur purify yourself, you go through that redemption process. What does relationships look like for, for, and you don't have to speak about you in particular. You can kind of take, talk generally. What does relationships with a woman looks like? After yeah, how, how can you, yeah. How do you, how can you authentically connect like that? I mean, I think for the most part, you connect with Allah first. Mm. You know what I mean? That's the way, because you got to have. Even to authentically connect, you gotta find a source of peace. Yeah. If you don't find no source of peace, you you're gonna be horrible. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't escape it. Everything that you that you went through in life at some point, like is is different. Like it's different. So you gotta know how to separate the two from like everything that you've been through because when you when you in that life you have no peace for the most part you're going to be you always looking over your shoulder you're always trying to see like uh, um you don't trust nobody you know what i mean yeah. so you got to learn first if you could trust in allah first then you'll trust the process so you gotta you know how they say let go let god yeah so yeah you gotta kind of just for but you gotta for me as for myself like the way i had to i find peace is i think it was different for me right because i even when i was like in the streets and whatever i did in the streets i, I um i make sure that whatever the case was like my beef didn't linger is either, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I never believed in, like, we're going to be for years, right? We're going to handle Whatever it the issue was, is, is going to be over with in that time so that you don't have things coming I, back to you, coming back around. Got you. Yeah, no matter what. So, yeah, you got to, um, yeah, you got to end this, you got to end it. So you can't keep anything that's. And it's, it's times, though, that you were going to places and you can't end every beef that you was in. And you did things inside of the prison that you can't have no that you don't have no control of. The only best part about it is, I guess, that made it. I won't say OK, but it made it to the point where you didn't always have to look over your shoulder is most of the people that you did it for did it to wasn't from your city. You know, but if, if you had to. People gotta people gotta have a certain type of peace because everything that you go through in jail, you're gonna feel challenged and a woman gonna challenge you. You know what I mean? <laughs> a woman is definitely is definitely oh, gonna well, challenge you. Not definitely, but no, definitely. she could be challenged. I mean, I, well the mouth of a woman is is very sharp, you know? So yeah, a woman could come at you. So if you gotta be able to handle that. And so you better build and up. And y'all slates are clear. Like y'all, y'all don't be antagonizing the situation. Or it's just no, a question. We, I, mean, I mean, we have a, we have an issue with we we feel like everything is a, is you know everything is we being challenged, 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 right? So we gotta know how to. Sometimes we gotta take a step back, reevaluate the situation, and be like, and you gotta you gotta take yourself out of that that mind state because you thinking that you're being challenged, which you're really not. But just because it's something that she's pushing in a different way that 
she's pushing and you try to push one way, she's pushing the other way. So now you feel like you're being challenged, right? So you got to take at that time, you have to take a step back and think like, hold on, maybe I'm looking at this whole situation wrong. But that that takes self-reflection. If you ain't going to reflect on everything that you've been through and why you are doing this at this present moment, then I mean, I don't think you're going to be that successful in a relationship, neither. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of issues I hear, though, Shahid, is like that. I guess like for sisters that maybe are navigating relationships with brothers in lockdown, it's like they can be like, you know, they look the letters and they so committed and they so in love. But when the brothers come home, it's like, what, what is going on? So, I, you know, like the ability to like, like that's why I asked that question, authentically connect. They you're believe connected you, to another person. What happened? They believe it. They be, like they writing them letters, right? They believe it. The you men, I mean? the, okay. They, they, they believe everything they saying in that present moment because they letting they caught up. You know what I mean? They caught up. They lonely. So everything that they think they feeling, they 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 truly believe that that's what they feel, and okay. then they get out into the world and realize. Nah, you know what I mean? It was it was all an illusion to them. So yeah, so they connect one way, but so I don't really I I don't really blame them, you know what I mean? I think everybody gotta take accountability and accountability and and actually look at it and just realize that when people are in jail, you kind of gotta wait and see how they move when they're on the outside. Don't get too caught up when a person is in jail, unless you, if, if you kind of know that person beforehand, then you kind of know how to deal with them. But you got people who meet new people through different inmates and stuff like that. And then the, the woman falls head over heels for the man. The man thinks that he's head over heels for this woman because he's lonely right now. And he getting his emotions all, his, his, he's, he's confused. You know what I mean? He don't realize he's confused until he comes home. And then he realized that this is not even what he wants. Wow. Okay. Hope you ain't break any hearts by that statement. But um, <laughs> so, okay. So you, um, I, I wanted to just touch on that because I think that's really, really important. But, you know, you're talking about, so, you know, obviously the, the, what I, um, the, redemption process sorry i looked at it through malcolm and how when he came out and how he transformed religiously spiritually but also how he dealt with his family you know he came from being almost like a pimp to now being an incredible father and incredible husband um so just that process of getting there really is about like you said that connection to to Allah, that purification process do you guys have to like do you have to do extra stuff to redeem do you find yourself feeling like you have to do put in extra work to purify, keep yourself purified. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you. I mean, that's. I, I, I feel like, for the most part, when I, when I look inside my community, right, as far as Muslims go, and I, and I deal with a few Muslims that that have been incarcerated, and some of them still go back and forth. They still get caught up, and go back and forth, and we try to pull them back, but they, they go out there and they do something stupid. And then that's the, you know, you hear about it and you realize that they back in jail again. Um, so, I mean, what you do, though, but for the most part, most people that come from my position in life that that did what we did and took this thing, 
we be on the front line. You know, we we out there. We um we feed the people. We try to clothe the people, help the people. We um try to get tents, whatever the, whatever the case is for homeless people. We out there. So I feel like we know. I mean, because we played these same streets, we did. We we kind of added to some of these people. Maybe not them specifically, but the oppression of some of our people. Because even when you sitting there and you um feeding them drugs, you almost allowing your peoples to be oppressed by this drug that they taking, you know, and you're benefiting off of it, even though you're addicted to the lifestyle as well. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. so redeeming is like giving back, sort of like going back into these streets and actually feeding the people nourishment and food and information and giving them housing and, and clothes and, and things like that. That's sort of the process of even going back, even going back right now, like um, like I was talking to a brother the other day and and I was like, we need to. Like the city is going crazy. Mm-hmm. We need to hit the streets real fast. So, you know, when people see us, they know us from the streets. So, yeah, we got to get back at least trying to stop half of the things that's happening out here. So we got to do something in some type of sense. But we, who better than us, right? Right. Like, who can do it better than we can do it? Anybody right. else go back out there? They're going to probably be a little shaky. They might be a little scared, you know, because some of these dudes don't want you talking to them. They ain't trying right. to hit nothing. Right. So what you going to do at that point? And who are you to even think you could talk to them? So you got to have some type of background to be able to go out there in these streets and think. So we on the front line. That's what we do. We go on the front line. And probably like this weekend, we'll be on the front line too. Mm, inshallah. 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 Um, well, Jazakallah, I appreciate I appreciate that connection of, of purification because it's not just a spiritual thing, but it's actually a physical thing of really taking your experience and using it to actually benefit our people. Um, and, you know, one of the things that really touched me just about your story and just about stories like this is just the suffering of, of our people. You know, the Dope Muslim podcast, we cover a lot of political cases as well. And um, the suffering of our people, the, 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 the barriers that are created, I was, you know, when I was reading this um, book, The New Jim Crow, that um, I was gifted with, um, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, they were talking just about the, the, the drug, the impact of the drugs when the drugs was flooded in. We know the drugs was flooded in by the CIA and all of that and what it did to our community. And then just the funneling into the prison industrial system and then the economic component of the people getting becoming really, really rich from filling these prison um, beds, um, one in which you actually I took part of. So um, it, may Allah bless you and may Allah bless the brothers that do have the foresight to go back into the communities to give back in that way and to understand that purification is also an action of actually yeah. going out there and doing something. Yeah. You know what I think that needs to, that, that has to be changed though? When, when, we, when we sit, even as, as young, when we, when we when, as black men, or black kids, everybody you know been in jail. You know what I mean? So now jail almost become a badge of honor for most people out here in these streets, but everybody you know been in jail. So you know, like, I remember when I was a when I was a kid and 
my stepfather was a correctional officer. And he used to tell me, yeah, in a minute, you're going to be in my house, even though I was literally in his house already. But he meant the other really house. Meant, you know yeah, what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, in a minute, you're going to be in my house. And I remember I looked at him and I was like, so? Not many people are knowing they already. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you you know everybody that's in jail already. So all you're doing is just going and re, reuniting. And it's the same type of things you're experiencing in the streets. Now you're yeah. just inside of a jail doing it on a different level. You know what I mean? But you're still out there. So I think you gotta we gotta um change the mindset of of the youth from thinking like that because most of the people that's Sometimes you got to show them something different. And I used to tell that to my nephews. I used to be like, don't, don't look at me. I'm not your role model. Stop trying to be like me. I got another brother that does everything that he was supposed to do. I'm like, that's your role model right there. I'm not your role model. You know what I mean? I can't because I, I said it for me, it, it's, it's playing catch up. Every time you go to jail, you're playing catch up. And I, and, I, and I use my brother as an example because I'm like, you could go into his bank account. And then you could take one of these drug dealers and go into their bank account. And I guarantee you it still won't match up. And he never been in the streets a day in his life. You know what I mean? So everybody looking at that fast money, but that fast money holds no value. Just as fast as you get it is as fast as it goes. You got to spend it on lawyers, bonds. You know what I mean? Commissary, everything like that. That money leaves quick. Right. You know, I know the legal fees. So, all right, Shaheen, we're ending the podcast. If you guys have any questions, you guys can chime in. Um, I did have a question. I mean, it's kind of personal, so it's up to you to answer. <laughs> but the question is, um, did you have a relationship with women while you were in jail? Like, what you mean? Like the whole pen pal thing? Bro, I don't know. I'm just repeating the question. So I'm just <laughs> you repeating the question or is it your question? It's not my question. It's literally here. It's from a YouTube um, subscriber. She said, did you have a relationship with women um, while you were in jail? And again, this is personal. So it's up to you whether you want to answer that. Um, I mean, I guess it all depends on what kind of relationship you're talking about. I mean, some some is just you have friendships with people. And but it's, it's just a way to get you. You need a pen pal. So it was a way to get you through the um through your bed. You in jail. So when you in jail, when you get that letter, that letter slide under your door or whatever, or where they doing mail calling you in the dorm and they bring that mail to your bunk. That's that's your way of leaving. You're out. Within that, mm-hmm. while you're reading that piece of mail, you're not in jail at that moment. You know what I mean? Okay. But when you or when you use that phone call and you make that phone call and you're talking to them on the outside. You're not in jail at that moment. So it don't matter what it is. If somebody could get a relationship, whether it be with a woman or not, and I don't mean the other relationship, you know what I mean? No, no, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Just receive somebody, mail contact from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, if you could get that um, mail contact or or the phone contact, you know what I mean, from the outside, you're going to take it. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a way to escape because at that time, it's going to, but it also could be a, it all depends on how deep your relationship is. If you want to, if if you want a real relationship, I I didn't do that. That whole relationship, relationship, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play like that inside of a prison. That will take you somewhere else and put you somewhere in a hole, because now you got to worry about what somebody's doing on the outside, how they moving, and 
Yeah, that's just a whole bunch of stress that you didn't, you shouldn't even want to endure while you're incarcerated. So no, I mean for myself, I didn't do it like that. Okay. But I will take pen pals though. I did take pen pals. You know what I mean? At that okay. time, as a way to escape. Okay. Yeah. So they say very insightful. Um, all right. So that's that's um, answers um, that question. Um, but <laughs> but I definitely appreciate you sharing. I know it's super. It's not the easiest thing to kind of go over these things. And I know like a lot of it you wanted to just put on your track because that's kind of how you communicate and how you get things out is um, is through your rap, not necessarily through talking. But I appreciate you kind of coming on and sharing um, what like. Like I said, what advice do you have to give? Like just last piece of advice that you have to give. I want to ask you on twofold because I think we covered two things. I want to ask what advice do you have to for the young black men growing up in similar environments? And mm -hmm. then number two, what do you have as advice for men coming out on the outside of how to, like I said, do that purification of self and also like connect as far as family life? <clears throat> well, for the young people is, yeah. I mean, the streets don't love you. I mean, for the most part, the streets don't love you. You got to do everything you can. Like for me, if I, when I look back, I'll be like, I had people tell me, but I, when I was on the outside, besides my brother and everything, people would tell me, my brother would tell me to try to, you know, change. But as far as like people, when you out there in the streets, nobody's telling you to change and do anything. But that's one thing you definitely have to do. You got to change every way of thinking. And, and you got to look at life and know that, you really got to evaluate these people that you look up to as role models, because when you look at them in life, you you will really start to realize that they ain't doing nothing. It's an illusion, right? Mm -hmm. They look like they got money, but they don't really have anything. Right. So I, my advice is just educate yourself. And I'm not necessarily, college ain't for everybody, so I'm not telling everybody to go to college or something, but educate yourself, whether it's a trade, or anything and it's best to start young especially around 20 21 22 do what you got to do and educate yourself young and find a career fast because that's the only thing that's going to benefit you in the long run trying to run these streets ain't going to benefit you at all you're going to find yourself you're going to either be as uh you're going to either be in jail dead or rat you know what i mean it's three things that that's that's really going to put you out there. You're going to be in jail, dead, or a rat if you don't change everything you're doing, especially in today's world. You know what I mean? It's, what's, the, what's going on? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. And, okay. and as for um for the for the men coming out of jail, bro, you seen everything you had to see. If you still out here thinking that you could get rich out here in these streets then you have mental health issues and you need to check that because everything, I mean, you should know better. And if you Muslim, I suggest you, you hold tight to the rope of Allah. Very, very tight because it's going to be, you're going to be out here and stay patient. You know what I mean? Stay patient. Cause you're going to be out here. It's going to be hard to get a job. You're going to be fine. I've been through it. You know what I mean? It took me a year or at one point to get a job. I was catching side jobs. And your mind going to tell you, you could hit these streets and get all this money that you need to get. And you, the same way your mind tells you that, you got to talk back to your mind and say, that is not an option. 
And, and, and that's exactly what, if you got kids, you better look at them. Whatever you got to do to keep yourself out on the outside. And if you ever been in jail before and you lost a family member while you was in there, I remember when I used to, when I wasn't able to call, when I was trying to call home and I couldn't get through to anybody, you start thinking the worst. You know what I mean? So remember every feeling you was feeling when you was in there. Don't forget none of that. And sometimes you got to take a walk down that memory lane to just remember everything. Because a lot of times we forget and we get caught up in a moment and we slip up and we start doing something that we shouldn't do. Remember that feeling when you was in there. Yeah. And then what about um, navigating family life post-incarceration? I mean, for me, I, I when I was incarcerated, I ain't. I said after. Yeah, after. What advice would you have for brothers that are trying to not just build themselves up spiritually, but also, um, and I know you touched on economics, but on their family life as well, which is, I think, a big issue that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You got to, I mean, you got to start. Just remember, nobody invested in your future for the most part, right? So we got to, if you got kids out here and you got a family out here, Every time you leave, you're leaving your family unprotected. You know what I mean? So you got to do everything you have to do financially to make sure that everything that you didn't have, your children going to have. And once you step behind the walls, they're lost again. They have nothing. They are protected. You're leaving them financially unstable, all of that. So I I, I just say when you... um, like my my daughter, when I look at my daughter, that's the reason I know I never, never step foot back inside, step foot back inside that prison, right? So I'm gonna do everything I gotta do. It's so many different trades. Even when you coming home from jail, there's so many different um programs that you could get into that will help you get financially stable. They will pay for you to um whether you want to drive a truck or ever you want to be a HVAC. Whatever you want to do, they will. It's, it's so many different programs that will help you out here to to make you to allow you to change and be a better person. So, I mean, just remember your fam. You remember that you can't you can't lose your family by by going back into these streets because that means you putting the streets over your family every single time. And yeah. family got to be first. You got to look at your family and be like, listen, it's it's not another day that I want to lose without being around them. That's why for me, I, I, I'm i around my family every day. You know what I mean? I come through here every single day. And then I go, I stop by my sisters, my mother, and I go home afterwards. But I'm here every single day because that's the reminder to tell you this is this is how you, like you, if I leave, who else going? Who else here? Right. You know what I mean? Who else going right. to be here? Right, that's important, that's powerful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this podcast and this episode and you sharing so much and being authentic. That's what it's really about. Um, Thank you. May Allah bless you. Um, So, yeah, thank you guys, the audience, for connecting with the Don't Muslim Podcast and connecting with the story of redemption. I did want to just make a quick announcement next week. I just announced that we are doing a two-part two-part series next week that's going to be really, really um, phenomenal, inshallah, but also a bit um, uncharted territories for me because we are going to be interviewing um, previously married spouses about the power of forgiveness 
and um, it is um, going to be interesting. So we have, um, but it'll be good, inshallah, and healing. So we will have um, Wednesday and Thursday. We're going to have two podcasts that week at, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to have two um, pre, uh, previously married couples that will be coming on the table to talk about forgiveness post-divorce. So that's really a powerful episode. Thank you guys for connecting. With I like brother. that, by the way. You like, oh, the, um, isn't it really big? What mm -hmm, the, yeah. yeah. I like your flowers too. Oh, thank you. They came, they came anonymously, um, by a carrier today. So mashallah, but, um, thank you so much. Yeah, it was really nice. So, um, inshallah, we will connect next time on the Built Muslim podcast. And I appreciate everybody for connecting. Make sure you support. I know my sister tagged the um, marketplace, so support us, inshallah. Thank you, Shahi Yasir. Inshallah, we will connect again soon. Take You're care. Uh, hey, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.